source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you Reading listen. Reading of the Word this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 7 through 19. If you don't have your Bible, Luke 17 can be found on page 876 of the Pew Bible. People of God, the Word of God. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have done only what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten leopards who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. Well... It's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Ryan Anderson, as Darwin mentioned. I'm a campus minister over at TCU and uh, enjoy working with college students. I have a great job, and we are in the middle of Parents' Weekend, so if you are a parent here this weekend with your student, welcome. I'm glad that you are here, and I hope that you'll find Fort Worth Perez a welcoming place and a place where you can learn about Jesus um, I would like to be able to mention to you all one quick thing about our little girls. You've probably asked and wondered how they are. They're, they're doing well, and they continue to grow, and I, we would continue to appreciate your prayers. In fact, if you are in um, Fort Worth on the 21st of October, 
come to church. We're going to have them baptized. And we just love to celebrate with you all. That's going to be an awesome day for this daddy at least to see those little boogers get baptized. And uh, it's just going to be great. And you guys have meant such a huge part uh, in caring for them. So, I mean, come celebrate with us. That would be great. Come do that. Uh, Also, uh, I wanted to mention that on campus this year, we have been looking... This is sort of getting into the sermon now. This We have been looking at a series called Defeated. And what we have meant by the word defeated was is that we have been looking at this concept of defeater beliefs. These, what is a defeater belief? A defeater belief is any belief that when held makes another belief or set of beliefs untenable, unholdable. And so we've been looking each week at a series of these beliefs that often Christians and non-Christians alike hold that are barriers in some way or another to a more robust embracing and following of Jesus. So, this morning we're going to continue in that, if you don't mind. We're going to look at that this morning. And so I want to just perhaps even ask you this morning... What do you think will move the heart of God on your behalf? What is it? What do you believe the answer to that question is? Will you pray with me as we ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning? Oh Lord, thank You for this Word that comes to us because You are kind and merciful. You have not left us, oh Lord, without a word from You without a word from You describing Your great grace to us. And so we come this morning, O Lord, with um, many needs. And we would ask that You would remember Your kindness, that You would remember Your mercy, and that You would pour it out on us, O Lord. And that You would open our eyes, and by Your Spirit, that You would impress these things upon our heart. We ask, O Lord, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the story begins with a duffel bag on the steps of an orphanage. A nun soon walks out and finds three baby boys inside. One has a bald head, the other one a bowl cut with jet black hair, and the third a receding hairline with red corkscrew curls. And so begins the 2012 less-than-Oscar-worthy movie called The Three Stooges. (laughs) A few weeks ago, my wife Laura and I spent the $1.25 that we'll never get back and a priceless two hours (laughs) with two young children and watched that story unfold. The slapstick trio of Larry, Curly, and Moe grew up there in the orphanage, causing much havoc in the life of the nuns. Well, the day came when a family was coming to select a child to take home. And after hiding all the other children in an attempt to force the prospective parents' hand and to necessarily rid the orphanage of one of the stooges, the sisters lined the three boys up. In came the parents, and each one of the boys had tidied up. Each one had put on his best. Each one had spit-shined his shoes, had parted his hair ever so perfectly in the hopes that they might win the approval, that they might catch the gaze of these prospective parents. They had hopes of entering a family 
And what stood between them and that dream was the ability to sway the heart of the couple. A silly movie? You bet. A serious concept? Even more so. You see, the reason that I share this story with you of the Three Stooges is that I believe that most, if not all of us, at some point or another, have believed that if we could just clean up, if we could just spit shine our hearts, if we could just part our hair, put the makeup on right, that we might be able to get the attention of God. You see, like the original readers here of Luke's Gospel, our hearts are bent on believing that God's heart would be ours if only we could be good enough. But this text is going to emphatically say otherwise. It is going to show us that God is incredibly merciful. And this has staggering implications for the way that He relates to His people. Well, what will move God's heart toward us? This text is going to show us why our own efforts will never do. First, it's going to show us that our good works aren't good enough. Secondly, it's going to show us that no works are no better. And then lastly, that the best work has already been done. So will you take a look at me with me at the text there? We're going to turn our eyes to a parable that Jesus Himself tells to His disciples. So turn with me to verse 7 there. You can see, you can see what is going on here. Here's what happens. Jesus is asking the question, will any of you who has a server, somebody who would servant who works in your household, will you, when the day is closing, will you run out to the field to him and say, at once, hurry, make haste, come in and eat with me. And Jesus knows, by the way that he asks that question, that that expects a negative response. That those disciples go, no, we would never do that. That would be a crazy idea. And Jesus goes on and He says, that's right. Wouldn't you rather, eyes on the text, say, prepare supper for Me and dress properly and serve Me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat. Does He thank the servant because He did what was commanded? You probably know enough about um, the Old Testament and the ancient uh, Near East customs, that to be around the table, to be around the table with, with fellows conveyed a deep sense of acceptance and community. If you have any questions about that, in another place in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 7, we see Jesus around the table with a group of religious leaders And lo and behold, who comes in but a prostitute? She finds her way at the feet of Jesus and these religious leaders are upset because they know that if Jesus was serious, He would not have fellowship with such a woman. So what is going on there in the text in light of that cultural background? 
Well, I want you to know that Jesus Himself says in verse 10, so also, that when you have done all that you were commanded, that you should simply say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Jesus is saying, mixing no bones about it, that when you and me have done all that God has required of us, should expect absolutely nothing from Him. Kidding me? Do you see how high that standard is? That white part of the Bible that we don't often read called the Old Testament that spells out how we ought to live our life before God. If we met every single one of those codes, lived them out perfectly, and came to God, He would say, big whoop. Big whoop. I owe you nothing. Think about it like this. Let's say that you have spent your life savings, you and your spouse, spent your life savings on the time that you would retire and it's time to build a house to live in for your twilight years. And you've contracted with a builder and he and his company come and they build and they spend the six months laying the foundation and laying the walls and you hire the interior decorator and they come in and they make this house and the keys are now being turned over because you've just closed. And as you're pulling in the driveway to sort of relax and to sit in your new home, the door, somebody comes a knocking on the door and it's your builder. And he comes with the bags in hand along with his family and he says, well, it's good to be home, isn't it? And you look at him and you say, what are you doing? And he would in return say, well, I built the house. It's time to eat. Isn't, aren't we here? Isn't this for us? Don't I now have fellowship with you? Well, you would be in your right mind to say, whoa, 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 whoa. That was just your job. I don't owe you fellowship in my family because now you might choose to, but you're not bound to do so. This text is showing us very clearly that all that we could or would do are simply not enough. One of my seminary professors, Dr. Brian Chapel, to whom I am indebted to much of this sermon, put it this way in his book, Holiness by Grace. Though we want to display the trophies of our good works, obedience and spiritual accomplishments, we must recognize that there is not sufficient goodness in anything we do to require God to move in our behalf. When we display our trophies of good deeds, God does not disregard the good in them, but if we try to force our way into His heart by such deeds, He must respond. Do not forget that what I actually require is that you cause no sin, that you confront other sin, and that you forgive any sin. And even if you had met these standards perfectly, though you have not, you would have only done your basic duty 
And I owe you no special blessing for that. Great. (laughs) Now where will we be? Now where will we be when we parade nothing before the Father? When there is nothing that we can do to get God to turn His eyes toward us. Do you sense that helplessness? This text wants you to. It wants you to. How might we apply this to our own heart? Here is what Jesus, I think, wants us to begin to see. You see, when we believe that God accepts us based on our own efforts or something we do, all sorts of problems arise. Here might be one of them that I know true. Whoops, excuse me. That I know to be true in my own heart. To believe that God might accept me on the basis of something that I might present, my own good works, my own reading the Bible, my own going to church, my own being nice and southern. That what I begin to believe is that when that happens, that I must actually hide behind my sin. I must put on the veneer. I must put on the veneer that God will only accept me because of the good things I do. And so I begin to parade that. And when I begin to hide behind those good things, I want you to know that you and me, when you do this alone, when you do this too, that we are actually cutting off. We are cutting off the intimacy with God that could be ours. The very thing that we pretend that we're getting is actually cut against. That's staggering to me. That's staggering to me. What about you? Where in your own heart would you find this own propensity to live out this way? Parents, what about with your children? What about the way that you would say, I must keep together the good here? And that the idea of me actually repenting saying I'm sorry to my children, that you might actually model something to your children about what it looks like to be a forgiven man or a forgiven woman in the eyes of Jesus. Spouses, if you're anything like me, you know this all too well. I like to hide behind those good things that I've done Try to parade before even Laura and the Lord how wonderful I really am. And you know what that only does? It only creates a greater rift. And so God is going to invite us, we're going to see in a moment, to lay it all down. To lay the deadly doing down. Our good works are not good enough. But that's not all. Jesus is actually going to show us that the no works mentality is no good either. Now, for some of you, that will raise questions, so I want to take a look. I want you to look with me now at verses 11 to 19. Let's look at this leper's story before I kind of come back to the idea of what I mean by no works is no better. You know enough about leprosy, perhaps. It's a disease of the skin. There would have been sores on the body, and more significant than just the physical implications would have meant the implications within the community. That is why these ten men 
are outside the city. Because by the law, Leviticus 13 and 14, they were meant to live apart from the city. They were social outcasts. They were excluded from the community. Now, being outside the community therefore meant that they were unclean. So, not only was there physical implications, relational implications, but also the idea of spiritual implications because they could not go to the temple to meet with the presence of God. So they were excluded from that. And you must understand that as we'll soon see. But notice what happens. Jesus walks by. And in the midst of their exclusion, they cry out, Master, Jesus, have mercy on us. Who knows? This may have been their one shot to have God turn His ear to them. But I want you to notice what they do not cry out. They do not say, Oh Lord, look at us. Look at the good works that we have done. They would never have said that because they couldn't do anything. But moreover, and this is what I want to drive home, they did not plead. Hang with me. Oh Lord, Look how we're not trusting in our good works. Let me say that again. They did not say, Oh Lord, look at us. We're not trusting in our good works. And I want you to understand that that is huge. Because our hearts as we're going to see in a moment, are so bent in on themselves. Martin Luther used to use this phrase that St. Augustine once heralded, and that was that our hearts are incurvatus in se. What in the world is that? Well, for those folks that know Latin, it just means that our hearts are bent in on themselves and what they love. Our hearts, for you Tolkien fans, have a Gollum-esque love for their own heart. That's what Jesus wants us to understand by context in this text. Let me share with you an, an illustration here. Insofar as Jesus is saying about these lepers that they are not heralding their own Trusting in their not trusting in their good works. I want to illustrate to you how I do this all the time. Here we go. Oh Lord, I'm trying to not live out on the basis of my good works. Can't you see that I just want to raise my girls to know you? Therefore, should you not just bless me? I'm not trusting. In my works. I, spoke with, I speak with parents all the time. And this might drive home a little bit to each one of you who say stuff like this. And they talk to me. They say, you know, Ryan, Jimmy is going off the deep end at college. Christian parents. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, we uh, pulled them out. Uh, we pulled them out of the particular type of school. And we've chosen to school them differently. We had family devotionals all our life. We did 
ministry mission trips in the summer instead of going on vacation. And now look, they've gone to college and they're going off the deep end, oh Lord. Didn't we not? We weren't trusting in our good works. Where are you? Aren't you going to hold up your end of the bargain here? I mean, are you prone to that? I sure am. I really am. I just want you to see that that is not what these lepers are doing. And that is intentional. We're going to look at a moment at what they are doing. But here, look at the spectrum. It's not our good works that get us anything. It's not even not trusting in our good works that get us nothing. It is something entirely different. And it's to that I want to turn now. Will you look with me, continuing at this text, Jesus is saying the following, We're not the ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Jesus is saying that out of My deep mercy, I have healed these men. That's why they cry out, O Lord, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Do you see what they appeal to? The Master's mercy. You see, their only hope was the mercy of God Himself because they know that alone is what will move Him. I want you to take a moment to see this. They do not say, Oh, Master, we are not trusting in the good works that we haven't done. Rather, we trust in You because You are merciful. Come to us. Heal us. Why can we say this? How can we say this about this text? This is related and bound up, therefore, in the very heart of God as being a merciful God. This is what theologians have often talked about, the self-containment of God. Or to use a more archaic language, the aseity of God. That God is completely happy. He is completely fine in and of Himself. And He is a necessary God. In other words, He is not contingent on anything Anything. What that means is, is that though your need might be the occasion for His mercy, it is not the grounds for His mercy. The grounds for that mercy are actually tied up in the incredible, infinite mercy of God. And that is incredible news. Look with me at Exodus chapter 34. Just so you think I'm not going crazy here. God is about to pass by Moses. He covers him in the cleft. And then God is going to declare His name to him. And in verse 6, do you see what he says? The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful 
and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. There it is. The heart of God is incredibly merciful. And though your need, much like these beggars, is the occasion for God's grace, the very thing that will move God's heart is His own heart. What wonder. What great news. This is incredibly good. I want to share with us this. Have you tasted the mercies of God yourself? Are are you perhaps even now struggling to remember them? Don't look. Don't let's not let us not parade the good things, trophying our good works, whatever we might do. Let us not even say, "Oh Lord, I don't trust in my good works." (laughs) I trust in not trusting in them because that is not the same. That's relying on Jesus and saying, here I am, a man and a woman, completely dependent upon your mercy for everything. And if you're not merciful, you don't bend to me. But because you are, hallelujah, I have what these beggars have. And that is intimate fellowship with God Himself. I don't know how that strikes your heart this morning, but it utterly moves me because I might be the biggest legalist in the room. I want God to look at me and be content with me because how awesome I am. And I just got nothing. You know what the Old Testament calls all the good things that I do? Polluted garments or filthy rags, depending on your translation. And that is incredibly sanitary language too. That's incredibly sanitary language. Jesus is saying, abandon it, leave it, look to me as being someone who is incredibly merciful. Now, Great Ryan, you've told us that He's merciful, but how can I know that He will actually be merciful to me? And it's here. Later in the book of Luke, there is another man who was taken outside the city. He himself was one who not only did his entire duty but whose heart was never bent in on itself. And for his perfect duty, he received nothing but the leper's treatment, separation from God's presence. And he too cried in a loud voice, but his was not one of mercy, but of forgive. For he knew the only way that mercy could go forth was if forgiveness was actually granted. The spotless Lamb as a leper. And His exclusion, namely Jesus, is what brought your embrace. So how can we move the heart of God? The answer is, we can't. (laughs) But because of the infinite mercies of God, it is moved for those for whom He has 
died. Your best works polluted garment. And because of His mercy, He so, recon- he so kindly responds to our deepest of needs. So listen up, y'all. Fly to Him. Go to Him as a place that is safe to be with your sin. Why hide? His grace makes the foulest clean. The foulest. So run to Him. Listen to what William Cooper, the great poet and hymn writer, once wrote. To see the law of Christ fulfilled, to hear His pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. That's what our confession spoke about this morning. That's all I can really touch on it. I'll leave you with this. My wife and I recently purchased a CD for children's music. It's called Rain for Roots. If you don't have it, I really recommend you get it. Kids, have you ever heard this? Y'all ever heard it? You need to ask your mom and dad to spend the nine bucks and get it for you. It's awesome. It's awesome. And there's a song in there that goes like this. Who died and came alive again? Who came to rescue you and when? Who came to make all things brand new? Who did it all for love of you? Who did it all for love of you? So sing and dance and leap and run. His name is Jesus, little one. So sing and dance and leap and run. His name is Jesus, little one. His name is Jesus, little one. That lullaby is yours. That is God even singing to you. So sing, dance. Leap and run. Because our God loves sinners. He loves them. And that's what moves His heart toward you. Will you pray? Our Father in Heaven, could it be that this is true? Oh, how glorious. Would You please make this more real to our hearts? Would You waken us where we're dead? Would You cleanse us, O Lord, and make us to see that You really do love us because of the work of Jesus. We cry out, Master Jesus, have mercy on us. And now make us, O Lord, a debtor to mercy alone. Would You do this for Your sake? that the world might see that God really does love sinners. Change us, we pray, for Your name's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. 
Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?